You are listening to Social Bees Radio, where we put the honey in the honey pots. I'm your director, the Rickster, and if you ever wanted to know everything and anything about Web3, crypto, or NFTs, you're in the right place. So fasten your seatbelt, get ready, and let's get started. And this blew my mind, Austin. I'm going to go ahead and bump back onto uh, our timeline. 2012, what happened in 2012? Because I didn't realize this was, uh, you know, I, in, in my mind, this company started probably about five years ago, six years ago. In 2012, we witnessed the initial launching and the initial uh, genesis of a cardiac Chris cracking his green safety helmet. So this was because he was in a crash course of giving up his IP, giving up his data, giving up control of his money to uh, a lot of uh, previous institutions. And uh, he went into a full crash course of using Coinbase. So, uh, and I don't know if Cardiac Chris actually used it or not, but Coinbase launched in 2012. And uh, that was the first cryptocurrency exchange. In 2013, it raised $25 million. And, um, you know, what was some of the significance around that? And why is that important? Well, uh, I recently listened to a podcast uh, featuring the Winklevoss twins, which had their hands in a lot of Web2 um, software development and, you know, historically uh, the battle with Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. But the Winklevoss twins are the founders of Gemini. And Gemini is another cryptocurrency exchange. And um, they had said something along the lines of when they first heard about Bitcoin, there was nowhere to get it. And so they had to go to a website uh, that hosted Magic the Gathering. So Magic the Gathering was a game, the trading card game. And on that website, for whatever reason, they sold Bitcoin. So I don't know how that came about. And this is just a story, so I don't know, you know how accurate it is. But when they're explaining that, it dawned on me, where did you get the Bitcoin from? How would you go and find it? So to even get involved in Bitcoin 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, had to be extremely difficult. And um, as Beverly said earlier, uh, concerning because you'd have to link your bank account and wire funds and credit cards to random sites that you had no clue um, if they're legitimate or not. So there's probably a whole lot of scams um, at that time where people were saying you can probably buy Bitcoin from the website, probably bought it, never got your Bitcoins. Um, so uh, 2012 was the launch of Coinbase. And I really love uh, just even listening to um, Beverly when she comes up here and talks as a UCLA professor. And that's a lot of uh, insight and a lot of knowledge um, that she brings to the table. And it's really fascinating just learning as she's an educator, actively educating the future um, of the workforce, the future generations of entrepreneurs and problem solvers. And uh, the, the fact that they're able to get an education around blockchain even now is, uh, is actually pretty damn cool, I got to say. Um, but Cardiac Chris, 2012, yes, you got your crash course and cracked your green helmet, but also that was the launching of uh, Coinbase, Crypto Simba, um, GMGM, thanks for coming up here. Uh, is there something you want to comment on the evolution of the internet and also the difference from decentralized and centralized? Uh, thank you, thank you very much, Austin. Uh, funky fish, uh, funky fills, funky fish. That's right. Sorry, and Chris. Yes, sorry. Um, yeah, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak. Um, uh, congratulations on getting the space up again. Um, yeah, I think we've, we've seen. Uh, 
we've seen quite a transformation from from those from those early days, right? Um, my first introduction to, to to the internet was was in grad school, working on on a token ring network uh, with uh, you know engineering workstations and the like, and I could have never imagined um, what was about to unfold. Uh, and then moving towards this notion of monetization of the the internet, I think you know there are lots of papers written about that, about this the original sin of the internet and how because it was it was the internet was funded by national programs and, and national institutions. The the idea of making a profit from it was um, wasn't acceptable, and therefore it led us to this whole Web two and how applications were were uh, were developed and monetized, uh, leading to you know Google and Facebook and and and, and the like, and then. Um, and then with this paper that Satoshi came out with, you know, I think what we have is um, is a whole new way of, of doing things much more effectively and efficiently. And um, I don't think the people at large really understand or appreciate it. I think we're so early into this system that we don't can't really appreciate what uh, what transformations are going to come about from it. And, and for that matter, even I think to, to fully to fully take advantage of this this architecture, it's, it will take some time because we need to get some some other things in place first, and I'll explain that. Um, so, but I, I you know, I think there, there's been too much hype around around the Bitcoin and the, the ability to make money quickly, and we saw then with the in 2019, uh, then 2020 with the NFTs, and, and the idea was it's all about making money quick, and. I think the, the idea is that it's, it allows us really to, to do things more effectively and efficiently and eliminate sort of the, the middleman uh, and or the intermediaries, if you want to call it that. And so um, we're early in the game. I think, again, we have challenges because if, if we want to put things like titles on uh, land titles on the blockchain, you know, if, I, uh, if I'm looking at this, for example, in, say in Africa, uh, you know, we don't have digital IDs. We don't have everything that's put into GPS form and, and, uh, and digitized. Um, and even the education around what, what does it really mean if I can really own my own title and, and there's no nobody there that can corrupt uh, or change the system. So so things are coming, you know, um, as, as, as we get to appreciate and understand what this is beyond just, the, you know, get rich quick um, thing. Uh, I think we'll, we'll see some wonderful things happening. I, I hope in, in hearing that's amazing. I, I hope I hope this push in technology gets all the technology to to places, you know, in Africa, like you're, you're talking about. Because I mean, that's something that that, that most people use, um, you know, generously, easily every day, right? <laughs> and it's basically just a G, a, a GPS location um, app, right? And um, and and it's it's you know, and how, how much can small things like that get, get into places that you're talking about? Uh, how much can that affect everybody's life, right? That's so. I hope this big push pushes everything, you know, forward and and gives the ability to, to get all these things and luxuries because there are luxuries all over the world. To people who can utilize it and better themselves with it. Right, right. You you you, you know you make an interesting point. So, and I was just watching on on the BBC there was a documentary about El Salvador and Bitcoin and the and the experiment that they're going through. And one of the points that came up was about this about remittances and the ability to transfer money from from one place to another without in, in, you know incurring significant uh, fees right and so they were talking about this this family where you know the daughter is sending 
her mother some money from Guatemala. And it, it, you know, it makes a significant difference. It's like, uh, you know, you want to send, you'd like to send a couple hundred bucks and it's going to cost you 20 to 30 dollars. That's, that's outrageous. So I think we've seen that, and particularly in Africa, uh, we've seen how, um, families and Africans in the diaspora can, can, uh, send money, uh, to their families, uh, at a fraction of the cost. And so that's, I think that's, that was the first real, uh, great use case. And, um, as I said, I think from from the hype that was built around uh, Bitcoin and, and, and what have you, what, what have you is um, you have all these uh, stories of success and then you know, people getting rugged and, and losing their funds because of um, uh, because of bad actors, right? And there's a there's a documentary on on um, on Netflix called uh, oh, the King of Bitcoin or Bitcoin King. It's it's about Quadriga. It's about this Canadian outfit, uh, a centralized exchange, right? Uh, which was basically um, somebody defrauding a whole lot of Canadians and uh, with the promise of um, getting them their cryptocurrency. Um, it was uh, it was a total sham. It's, it's, it's quite sad. Um, and I think we're still going to see this, these, these issues with, you know, bad actors and people taking advantage of the naivete of, of others. And um, maybe out of, uh, out of a need for greed or what have you. I certainly think that, you know, in, in Africa... Yeah, when we look at the, with the context there, it's like, you know, people are making so little money that the, the hope of, of making something big and, and getting out of your situation is, is very, very alluring. Um, but we have to be patient, right? And, but you promised them, look, put down a little bit of money and you'll make, you'll, you'll make, you know, 10,000, you know, 100,000 times, uh, very quickly. That's, uh, that's how you pass up one, right? And, uh, and so working on FOMO and FUD, right? Yeah, and uh, I actually saw that document. I saw most of that documentary you're talking about. It, it it blew my mind, but it was it, again that keeps back to everything that we talked about education and 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 getting because basically what that guy was doing was he had a single wallet address or two, and he was doing all the transactions for everybody out of his one wallet. So when he decided to disappear or die or or whatnot, um, you know, he held held everybody else. That's that's like the super that's like the super duper centralization, right? He held everybody's assets in his wallet <laughs> or the, the company's wallet or whatever. So that's, that's like, uh, and, like, but back then, you know, like what were the options? We talked about that earlier with Beverly, you know, like the, the ability to get on there and purchase Bitcoin was not as prevalent as it is now. So you, if you, you had to take, you didn't have to, but it is, if somebody pitched it to you, you were willing to take the risk for the uh, reward, right? Yeah, and I, and I remember uh, hearing about terms like mining, which I, I could not relate to. I, I didn't understand. Uh, and again, because of because of the narrative and the stories related around uh, this, uh, use with uh, the Silk Road and, and then some, uh, it didn't leave a very very favorable impression with me. And so, um, and then later on in 2017, 2018, you started to hear more news about Bitcoin and the price and what have you. But um, I mean, I, I first heard about it at an at a economic seminar in 2019, but it wasn't until, uh, you know, Patrick Tuttle got us involved with the, with the bees that um, we actually found sort of uh, a sense of comfort, right, uh, that we trusted someone that uh, would, uh, would help us navigate the space. So, um, hey, real, real quick, uh... Ray of Light, Funky, you still out there? I, I, Fomohead, you out there? You guys come up? I just had a, I had a question kind of related back to, and I'm gonna ask you too, Crypto Simba. I, I like to, I like to make, 
I like to make references, reference points and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so I invite everybody up here to come up here and, and answer this question. But so in, in 19, so Austin and I were going through a timeline, right? So in 1979, I just picked a page out of the, the thing that we, we reviewed earlier today. In 1979, MUD was a, a precursor to World of Warcraft and Second Life um, is developed. MUDs are an entirely text-based virtual worlds. So World of Warcraft, it wasn't in 1979, but these were the precursors to these, these arising. When was the, the first time you heard of, uh, you know, let's say World of Warcraft? Because it was precursor in 1979. Like, that blows my mind that it was that, that long ago. I can easily answer that. I mean, it wasn't until recently. Uh, I wasn't very much into gaming at all. So, uh, certainly don't know anything about, um, uh, world, what did it say? World of Warcraft? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big gamer either. And I mean, I, I probably heard about it late nineties, you know, like that's, that's not like late nineties, like 99. So like, you know, yeah. to, to think that those, those ideas and concepts were, were the precursors in World of Warcraft probably wasn't too far after that. How about you, Funky? Yeah, man, I grew up during all of this. Uh, I was born in 97, so honestly, a lot of this is before my time. I just got to experience, like, the last little bit of it. Um, I I started playing RuneScape when I was, like, 11 or 12. Um, I had some friends that played Minecraft, not Minecraft, uh, World of Warcraft. But, but yeah, no, I, I just got to experience the end of it. Yeah, when I was in college, we were playing Dungeons and Dragons. Right, that was the, the big game we played. Where you played well, that's, that, that's World of Warcraft in real life, isn't it? I would, I couldn't tell you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. Uh, I and I only heard about Minecraft when when you know my cousins, you know, had kids and 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 you know they would tell us about uh, I go visit them and, and they would be playing this game, right? Um, the uh, you guys you guys want to laugh at me right now? <laughs> <laughs> I said I said ninety I said ninety nine World of Warcraft. I just googled it didn't come out to two thousand four. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. That, that, that's, that's about right. I'm I'm usually like uh you know yeah. I'm not right I'm not right on the time. <laughs> well, this is why we keep the uh, green helmet on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, two thousand and four. You know, I I I moved to to Syria and and Central Asia. I was in Tajikistan, uh, and so we, I kind of went backwards. You know, I, I had to get a get a phone and. And dial up and, and, and stuff to just get, get internet access again. Uh, after having lived in California and, and selling, you know, state of the art hardware on software, sorry, to manage devices and stuff. Um, that's, so, um, that, that, that's quite a life life changing experience, huh? Yeah, yeah. So from 2004 and through you know 2012, I was kind of like in the dark ages, so to speak, uh, working where I was. I learned a lot so, about community and 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 yeah. you know. Civil society organizations and development and stuff. Crypto Simba, you, you offer a lot of uh, wisdom and love. Uh, I love when you pop up here and share, you know, your education and, and experiences with us. To always learn uh, something and like grow brain cells, which is But I want to invite you back to join us um, on Wednesday and uh, yeah. be one of the uh, guest speakers for us during the time frame. Um, you know, we'll get with you, but it'll be around the same time of night. Um, yep. starting at about 8 p.m. Eastern. So okay. I'll, I'll yep. get with you and invite you back then. But mm-hmm. I want to ask you this because we asked this to Beverly early. All right. With um, with going through and uh, your experiences of Web Zero, Web One, Web Two, Web Three, um, are you seeing a lot of familiarities with the pain points 
the uh, user experience struggles at those times? Are you seeing a lot of the same familiarities of, uh, you know, the adoption of Web 1 and Web 2 as we are seeing right now with Web 3? And, for example, um, I don't know if you're here when we talked about it. I didn't experience this, and maybe if you did, you could add some uh, context to it. But in 84, I believe it was, the domain name service launched. And what that did is it gave the ability for people just to type in a simple web address um, and get to, uh, you know, the site or the location on the Internet they're, they're uh, heading towards as opposed to typing in an IP address. And so, you know, when I read that or I, I learn that, it reminds me of what we're going through right now where if I wanted to send you Ethereum, you send me this long string of numbers and characters, and, you know, there's attempts to make it simplified with the .eth names, you know, ENS, and the Coinbase recently announcing they're going to do the .id names and making it easier for people to transfer, you know, crypto from one another. Um, the DNS launching reminds me of that same familiarity where instead of having to type in the long IP address, remember, numbers and dots and whatnot, you just typed in, you know, a word. So what are some familiarities that you're seeing with the struggles of user adoption and uh, some of the pain points of those early days of the Internet and as we're seeing today with the early days of Web3? Right. Um, you know, I, I look at the pain points from a, perhaps a different perspective. Uh, one was, you know, in, in, the, in the 80s, I was, I was in an academic setting, and my research was about trying to solve big problems very fast. And so even though I wrote my thesis on, on, on distributed and parallel processing and distributed computing, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the conclusion was that it, it was going to take machines that had even more uh, bandwidth, right? The bandwidth was relatively slow uh, compared to the amount of computation you could do with a, with a computer at that time. Because uh, we were trying to solve big problems like how do you, how do you analyze a space station? Um, and so, yeah, the idea was, okay, let's do it on 10 computers or 100 computers or 1,000 computers. But it was... Um, we had the we had the challenges around the, the actual performance of the computer and how how we could write code uh, and the and the communication speed relative to uh, the processing speed. So those were the kinds of challenges we we I was kind of dealing with. And then from a, from a software development perspective, again, you, we had you had limited memory and, and limited uh, yeah limited memory. So you had to you had to develop your programs quite kind of. Kind of Really effectively and efficiently, and, and, and this is when object-oriented programming was, was starting to come out, and then people were using it and what have you. And then you had Java, and, and then some. But even I think, um, and then even as late as the 1990s, it was still a problem because I was working on software to, to make uh, make it possible to do voice over IP and uh, video on demand. Uh, and and these are things that we kind of take for granted, right? So the the pain points were around this just just the performance, the performance of the of the systems, and as uh, as we got machines with fast, you know, the cost of memory went down, and the communication speed went up, and we were using you know, fiber and light and what have you, it just made uh, it made things that much more easier. And I, and I think also there was perhaps I, I would argue a uh, you know a, a cultural shift in, in the idea of using open source software, and which then allowed people to use other people's code, and they didn't have to reinvent the wheel. So for, from, a, from a software developer's perspective, the idea was that we got better machines, we got faster technology, uh, and then we started to, to find ways to collaborate and, and, and use each other's uh, software uh, to make things to improve and, and move things much more faster. And, uh, and then came all of these uh, new, sort of new approaches to how, you know, how we develop code today. Um, 
and I didn't really look at it from a from the perspective of a consumer and an adoption like I do now, right? This is a completely new technology. Um, using email and stuff when I was in grad school was was uh, was like a no-brainer. It was you know I, I just expected to to get to see it when I was you know when I lived and worked in California, so um, not a big deal. But uh, and I still remember you know having to, to get a dial-up and, and stuff like that. So that, that, those are the kinds of pain points that I saw. But but nothing like this notion of a whole new technology. And, and it's it's funny to to go back and look at some of those those videos from you know Good Morning America and what have you and Brian Gumbel and and talking about what is this at sign and what does that mean and all of that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know. It struck me that when you're saying that the performance issues from memory and communication speed, and yeah. that is something actually that it, we can resonate to today with the current state of blockchains, that mm -hmm. uh, like Ethereum, for example, that has a low transactions per second. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there becomes, I guess you can reference that into like a, the commu communication performance of, you know, back in the early days of software development and internet. Same thing here, the early days of blockchain is there's a, you know, performance issues of transactions per second or communication speed. And then also, right. uh, you know, blockchains in and of themselves don't hold a large amount of memory. Right. And so they're not, they're not, I guess, quote unquote, maybe databases or big databases, they hold um, the current state of memory. So um, fascinating discussions. And I want to, like I said, I want to invite you back uh, Wednesday and maybe um, we'll send a topic around um, some of the uh, social and uh, community and psychological, um, you know, wisdom and, and experience and knowledge that you've you've experienced throughout the years and from all your travels. And um, um, so I want to invite you back for that. And I want to uh, close this out here in a couple of minutes and just uh, direct people to the Be Social TV YouTube channel where Ray of Light and uh, Tim Judge on the T Ray Show are hosting um, a lot of great content as always live on YouTube. And so I want to uh, direct people's attention there as we close this out. And as well as the Social Bees University, the auction has concluded. Cardiac Chris, that passed us by about 14 minutes ago, and um, it was a it was a no biter down to the end. There were there was a Queen Bee from Malawi, Malawi. Um, hopefully, I'm not butchering that. But went from yep, nearly Malawi. nine thousand. It's in uh, Africa, right? Yep. Yep. Um, that one went for about nine thousand B honey, eight thousand eight hundred eighty-eight. So roughly nine thousand, and the crown. Uh, be here went for five thousand B honey, and um, you know the remaining three bees went for uh, four hundred to six hundred B honey, and so an absolutely another success of the auction. We have, I believe, officially crossed over two million dollars in the auction over the past fifty-three days. So the Social Bees University is doing a uh, is thriving and striving. And it's got some pep in its step, and uh, amazing bees in the auction. So I want to uh, direct everybody's attention to. Uh, maybe joining the YouTube channel and watching the live stream, as well as just saying thank you. And uh, thank you, everybody, for showing up. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for um, participating and, uh, you know, uh, being here to support the Social Bees University. Uh, Cardiac Chris, thank you for co-hosting with me. Crypto Simba, thank you for popping up and uh, providing all the knowledge and wisdom you always do. Funky, funky, funky monkey, brass monkey. Funky's always uh, staying funky. So appreciate you. Thanks for popping up. And, um, you know, Beverly, what a surprise. That was uh, great to hear from her and George as well. Uh, these uh, these uh, spaces are recorded, and so you will be able to listen back to them at a later date. 
as well as they will be published and syndicated onto multiple podcast platforms. So if you uh, missed out on anything over the last hour and a half that we have discussed, make sure uh, you watch for those recordings that you can tune in because there's a lot of information, a lot of stuff that we dived into, and, uh, you know, wildly eye-opening um, discussions around the evolution of the Internet. Crypto Simba, uh, before and Funky, before we turn it over to Cardiac Chris to close it out, did y'all have anything you wanted to add? And again, I welcome y'all back for uh, to join us Wednesday. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Uh, I look forward to Wednesday. Yeah, it's great that you guys are doing this. Um, Austin always, always stepping up and being a leader. Um, definitely an example of what B should be. So everyone down there takes notes. I'd like to uh, thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, I just want to reiterate that when we started this conversation, it, what stimulated it was there are 5 billion plus people using the internet today. And we want to talk about how that was happening. And, you know, we started out in 1960 on the 1969 when they sent the first message via um, connectivity. Let's, let's put that in perspective. Uh, you know, there's about 6 billion texts sent a day now. And there's about 300 billion emails. Uh, you know, that, that's a stat from 2020. So uh, I appreciate everybody tuning in. We're going to uh, keep on um, having some nice intellectual discussions up here and we, we encourage interaction and we are not asking we are telling you to get your butt on over to B social TV social bees TV on YouTube go to YouTube social bees TV the T Ray show uh, you can go to uh, socialbees.io and there's a YouTube link on there type in um, uh, social bees TV and T Ray show look them up give them a watch and we shall see you back here soon thank you very much You have been listening to Social Bees Radio, where we put the honey in the honeypots. Make sure to check out our next episode of Social Bees Radio. Till then, signing off. <laughs>